2. We are continuing in the series about four questions answered by New Testament authors. Last week we talked about what Jesus did for us. And on October 6th, we talked about why Jesus matters to us. This week we're talking about how does Jesus want us to act? How does Jesus want us to represent him in our lives? James chapter 2, starting with verse 1. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to who you belong? So we find out that the first part of the text is forbidding favoritism. Specifically, in this passage, it talks about favoritism between rich and poor. But I I don't think it's limited to just rich and poor. I, I don't think James is trying to just say, you know, don't show favoritism only in the rich and poor, but to those who don't look like you, or who don't dress like you, or who don't smell like you. Or who don't act like you. See, I think if we take a step back and look at our lives and think about the way we think about other people as we walk through the store or even see people in church or at work, the way they act, what they do, I think we realize we are awfully judgmental. We judge. We judge a lot. And as I've been preparing for this sermon this week, as I've been reading this text and allowing it to just speak to me, I've realized how judgmental I am. And I've caught myself thinking some evil thoughts about people because I judge, because we judge. I think especially Christians who have been in the church for a long time, we are really guilty of this. Because oftentimes in church, we're around people that act like us, that dress like us, that look like us. And all of a sudden, When somebody new comes in, or we see somebody that doesn't look or act or dress 
or smell like us, we judge. And James says, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I think we're guilty. So here's the question, and you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you have secretly judged me this morning based on what I've been wearing? How could somebody get up and preach in jeans that have holes the size of, you know, Texas in the knees? But here's my question for us this morning. What if somebody just like me came dressed just like I am, but didn't know Jesus, and showed up in the front pew this morning? Would they leave after service feeling loved, or would they feel judged? What if they became turned off from church altogether for the rest of their lives because they felt alienated in church? It doesn't even have to be with your words. It can be with your eyes. We're guilty. What if I had arms full of tattoos? Or what if my ears were pierced? Oh, wait, they are. <laughs> See, the problem with this is that in, in James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, You shall not commit adultery, also said, You shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And I think the point that James is trying to tell the readers here in this text is that we're all sinners. It's something that, that we've known for a long time. If you've been around church for any length of time, we talk about how we're all sinners and how we're all guilty. But sometimes in the hierarchy of our society and in the way we operate, we judge people based on different sins. And different sins have a higher, you know, higher gravity against them, I guess. In our, in, in our eyes, if somebody does something, you know, if they're selfish, that's okay. But if they commit adultery... They are worthy of being judged, right? No. James wants us to know that in God's economy, in God's eyes, we are all equals. And that we've all been created the same way and that we've all sinned. And so it doesn't matter how we dress or how we act how we look, or even what we've done. In God's economy, we are all equals. You can see that 
message all over Scripture. For example, in Jeremiah 29, 11, God tells us that he has plans for us, plans to grow and prosper us. It doesn't isolate those who are only not sinning a lot. Or those who dress a certain way, or act a certain way, or hang out with a certain group of people. God has plans for all of us, because in His economy, in God's economy, Jesus died for all. John 3.16 says that whoever believes, right? So, my question for us this morning, as we think about this text, as we think about where we're going and way, the way we act ourselves for people in this church. In light of us all being equal, in light of the, the playing field being completely leveled and that no one is greater than another, how do we stop judging others? Simply put, we love our neighbors as ourselves. Verses 8 and 9 of James chapter 2. I kind of jumped around there, but I think it's a great way to, to look at it. Verses 8 and 9, it says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law, as lawbreakers. So, this morning, as we talk about showing favoritism and as we talk about judging other people, I think something that we really just need to get out in the open today is that judging others and showing favoritism is a sin. And it's wrong. And we need to repent of it. Very clearly says, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning, I think, as we think about going out from here, is how much do we love ourselves? How much do we love ourselves? And if we love ourselves a lot, which I think you do, are we prepared to love other people as much as we love ourselves? And we've heard that a million times. We've heard that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and so, you know, we'll take, you know, brownies when somebody new moves in across the street. Or, you know, we'll, we'll be nice or cordial or whatever. But I think if if we begin to think about how much we love ourselves, it could totally turn our lives upside down. Here's a question. Do you feed yourself? Do you clothe yourself? Do you allow yourself to have some entertainment every now and again? Do you provide a place for yourself to live? Are we doing that for the people that don't have those things? 
Are we loving our neighbor as ourself or better than ourself? Or do we mostly judge? Several years ago, uh, Trina and I took a, a group of students on a mission trip to Chicago. And we went downtown and we're picking up trash along kind of along the Magnificent Mile, uh, which is just right in the heart of downtown. And we were walking around and uh, we we're just trying to serve people there. And so we were picking up garbage wherever we could. And we got done and it was really cold. And so we decided that we are going to go get um, some breakfast at a little bakery. And so we're walking as a group there. And as we walk, we're, we get ready to cross the Chicago River. There's a, a little bridge that we're getting ready to cross. And there's a homeless man sitting right at the edge of the bridge. And we were really cold. And we were walking around and we were picking up trash. And, and this man is, is just sitting there and he's obviously asking for food or for money. And even in that moment, when I'm leading a group of high school students on a trip that's supposed to open their eyes, I wanted to walk right on by. And I did. And as I walked right on by to go get my breakfast and hot chocolate, my wife started crying. She said, how could we just walk right on by when he's there needing food? He's got to be cold. He probably stayed right there all night. And in that moment, I was humbled. Because I realized that even when I'm trying to serve God, even in that moment when I'm leading other people to try and open their eyes to not judge, I'm judging still. And so we went and got him some breakfast. Now, I know what the excuse is oftentimes. Well, I don't want to give them money because I, I don't know where they're going to go spend it. They're going to go spend it on alcohol or they're going to gamble it away. Or, you know, they, they've, they're homeless because they've made bad decisions. I don't think God calls us to evaluate the way they're going to use our generosity. I think God calls us to love our neighbor as ourself. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how they are going to use it. It almost matters more about what's in our heart about the way God is, is, is changing our heart to, to look more to the interests of others than ourselves. There's a, uh, a lawyer who lives on the, on the West Coast, and his name is Bob Goff. He's also an author. And he wrote this book called Love Does. And in this book, his premise is, is that love is so powerful that it will do things that are just wild and crazy. He, he says that love is, is so powerful that it will do things that are inconvenient. I went to a conference that he got to speak at. 
And he talks about how, uh, in his book, he talks about how he tries to make himself as available as, as possible. And as a matter of fact, he put his cell phone number at the end of his book. And he invites people to call him. This has been a, uh, a huge bestseller. Millions of copies have been sold. And he tries to answer the phone every time. And as he was speaking to this group of youth ministers at the conference I was at, somebody called him. And he answered the phone in the middle of the conference. Even though it was awkward and inconvenient and maybe even a little bit unprofessional. And he just said, hey, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of something. He actually put it on speakerphone so we could all hear And he said, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of something. Can I call you back here in a few minutes? I'll be done in about 10 minutes. Love does some crazy things that are inconvenient. There's a couple of quotes I wanted to share with you that he says. And I think they apply so well to today. He says, quit measuring yourself with anything but your love. Quit measuring yourself with anything but your love. Quit measuring your success and your status and everything around you with anything but your love. How well am I loving others? Love that. And then watch the language here. He says, we don't operate on the same economy as everyone else. He's talking about Christians. We don't operate on the same economy. We talked about that. It says, we should be fighting over the worst parking spot. Think about that for a minute. We never do that. Because we don't think about others before ourselves, typically. You know, there's a reason why our church gives so much to missions, and to benevolence. It's because we want to set a good example and because we believe that God has called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Here's my final, my final point. Is that as, as Christians and as believers, our faith and our actions need to have an intersection somewhere. Our faith and our actions need to, to, to come together and work together. Verses 21 and 22 of James chapter 2 again. And I encourage you to read the whole chapter. Maybe later tonight when you get home or tomorrow morning. As you spend some time with God. But it says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when we were working together? Or when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Our faith, our belief in Jesus, and the way we live our lives has to come together. Or it's not complete. Following Jesus has to change our whole lives or we're not fully living for Jesus. 
And how can we gauge if we're beginning to do this as a church? It's when we start to see people that don't act like us, that don't dress like us, that don't smell like us, that don't hang out in the same groups of people we hang out with, but that they come into our church and they stay because they feel loved. See, if we're really serious about following Jesus, if we're really serious about wanting Him to be the Lord of our lives and the Savior from all of our sin, everything looks different. Let's pray. God, uh, this morning, God, we're challenged. We're challenged to look a little more like you. And we're challenged to change our lives so that they reflect yours. And we're challenged to love like you loved us. And so, God, I, I just ask this morning that you would, you would mold our faith and our actions together. And that this church begins to look differently. And act differently. And smell differently. And become known not for our judging, but for our love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. They will know we are Christians by our love.